Welcome to Freedom Slay Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Welcome to episode 44 of the Freedom Slave podcast. You're going to learn lots about creating a brand that stands out and the behind the scenes of building a cult-like following and creating a product from scratch from today's guest, Maya Smith. Maya's the founder of The Do Brand, a hair care line with dope 90s hip-hop type packaging and salon quality products that millions of consumers have been drawn to. Her products are in Target, Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, and many others. And Maya will be sharing not only how this happened, but some of the very important lessons learned along the way as well. Now, we're going to dive into the episode in just a sec, but before we do, I wanted to read a recent review for the podcast from Jill MC. She said, I absolutely love your podcast. I've gotten so many useful and out-of-the-box ideas to implement with my brand. Thank you very much for sharing this carefully thought out and extremely helpful content. Thank you so much, Jill. I truly appreciate each and every review, and I'll begin to read more on here on the podcast. If you've ever benefited from this podcast, please take 20 seconds out of your day and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or as some say, iTunes. It truly means a lot. And it's my pleasure to continue to provide fire content for you so that you can not only listen to it, but can implement it and get real results. And I know today's podcast with Maya Smith of The Do is going to be no different. She's such a genuine soul and brilliant businesswoman sharing the reels of building a super successful business. So without further ado, see what I did just now? The Do, a Do? Ah, anyway, let's meet Maya. <laughs> hey, hey, Maya. Awesome to have you on today. Hello. Thank you for having me. So I have a question for you, Maya. Was creating a hairline always a dream of yours? How did this all begin? Can you give us a little background? Um, it really just began in my salon. I opened my first salon actually overseas in Germany in 2009. And that was kind of the beginning of this whole natural hair movement. A lot of people transitioning from relaxed hair to natural hair. And really my clientele, you know, were more, a lot more professionals. They had, you know, work and dress requirements with a lot of them being military. So they really were looking for a more polished look and trying to get it done in less time. So for me, the, the do started in the salon just because we wanted to create products that were more accessible as far as the, we, we weren't really considering the, the time that it took to create the looks that they were trying to get. And we wanted to create a brand or a, a line of products that would enable regular everyday people who weren't on YouTube and didn't have three hours to spend on a twist out to get that salon look with less products and in less time. Mm-hmm. And what year was this that you were doing this when you were in Germany and came up with so I opened the salon I opened the salon in 2009 and we did about two years of research and development working with a a team of chemists and me actually using the products repeatedly with using my clients as my focus group so we launched the brand in 2012 even though we had been working on it for a while so you've been at this for a really long time then go you right thank you And what it's like then coming up with that perfect formula, because I know you said you were testing all of those years, you know, and finding the right manufacturer, like what goes into that? Did 
you have any roadblock? Like, like you, like I said, I was still overseas. So logistics was a, a major obstacle for us. You know, everyone being on a different time zone and finding people that would work, work with us because we were in a different country at the time. And, you know, I think for me, one of the obstacles was, um, which is still a challenge, is that I'm actually a stylist. So my standards for a salon quality product are going to be a lot different than, you know, someone who's just making hair care products to serve a, a different need. I'm actually using these products on people that are paying me to do my job. So for us, the reason why it took so long and the reason why a lot of our products take a lot longer in research and development is because they're actually being tested on people. And, you know, we're waiting to see what those results are, what the consumer's feedback is. So I would definitely say it's almost harder when you know what you're doing (laughs) than it is when, you know, you're just, you know, your frame of reference on what you're creating is just based on you and five of your girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And in 2012, when you were putting it out there, were you back in the U.S. at that point? We got back to the U.S. in 2014. So there were a couple of years that we were just doing e-commerce. Still, a lot of our um, our consumer was in the U.S., but they were also abroad, Africa, Italy, Egypt, Abu Dhabi. Like, you know, I had a lot of sales just in that area because we were, of course, in Europe. But by the time we got back to the States in 2004, we decided to launch our second salon and relaunch the product line. So in 2014, you did another launch then? Right, right. It was a lot easier. We came back to the States primarily because of the logistics issue and because we had such a strong following here in the States. We got a lot of press, a lot of interest that, you know, we were even, a lot of it we weren't even aware of because we were in Europe. So it just made a lot more sense to bring the brand back to where we were from. And that's where we started the Do Salon and relaunched the brand from the salon. And what do you think about this? Because I know a problem so many have, no matter what their product is, they get fearful about, you know, having or entering what others may think is a saturated market. Mm-hmm. Were you ever discouraged because there were other brands out there? And if so, how did you overcome that? You know, strangely, not at all. I think because we started at such an early stage in the movement, I did see a lot of brands popping up. But the more brands that started to emerge, the more misinformation was being spread on YouTube and there was a lot more information. So the need that I had and that my clients had still wasn't being filled. So it actually motivated me to disrupt the space and to do, you know, what I felt was more aligned with what my values are and the values of the people that I was serving. So I think that having, you know, what's called an oversaturated market, if you know what you're doing and your heart is in the right place, it actually benefits you because you can always bring, you know, your flavor to the space Mm -hmm. if you're confident about what it is that you're doing. I love that. First off, that means you're also an education brand because you're teaching people. And I love this on your Instagram as well. You're basically saying, listen, they say this about oils, but let me tell you the real (laughs) deal. And I'm like, oh, I love her. (laughs) Oh, you got that bit. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, I saw it all. And I'm like, oh, I love her. And I saw the piece where you were saying, you cannot call it a do review if you are mixing our products with everybody else. And I'm like, I love the authenticity, the education piece, because you're teaching people how to use the products, but you're also teaching them about their own hair, right? And I love that. And your products also stand out because of your 90s style packaging and the names and all of that. So how did you come up with the name? How did you come up with the package and the whole theme? It's like a 90s like era product. I love it. 
I mean, it's funny because I didn't even realize how strong, I guess, the 90s reference was until after people started to point it out to me. I'm the creative director of the brand, so I design all of our packaging and handle, you know, pretty much all of the, the visuals that you see when it comes to the brand. But I didn't realize how much, how heavily influenced my work was by the music that I listened to and you know the colors and the art that i enjoy until after this particular product was was complete it's i just really create from an authentic place what i love and what i'm inspired by of course hip-hop street art pop art are some of my strongest creative influences so the names of the products and the aesthetics are really just an extension of the creative space that i'm in they weren't as intentional as they looked i just you know kind of get in there and make what i love and it usually you know will just end up looking like me. For me as a creative and as an artist, I just, I consider myself an artist that does hair. Mm. Um, So anything that I make really is just coming from the inside out. So you'll be able to, you'll kind of pick up those similarities and those references, but believe it or not, they're really not as intentional as they seem. Mm. And I was going to ask you about that as well, because I heard you say you were the creative director, but you say you're an artist that happens to do hair. So I do love that you're being, you're pulling in multiple talents that you have to make your brand successful all while keeping it 100, which I think is a big contributor to why it's been so successful. So did you like study creative art or design or anything like that? Or is that just something that's innate that you're just a natural artist? A little bit of both. Mm. I did, I did did study design. I actually started cosmetology when I was in high school. I wanted to be, I wanted to go to Savannah College of Art and Design. The only reason why I am a hairstylist today is because I wanted to have some flexibility while I was in school. And I just started when I was 15. By the time I was a senior in high school, I already had my cosmetology license. So really, I didn't intend to do this as a career. It's just something that I've been exposed to for so long. And I ended up being a lot better at it than I thought I would be and just decided to pursue it full time. But yeah, I've been, you know, kind of immersed in the world of cosmetology so long. My entrepreneurial journey started really, really early. And at any of that point in your journey, did you question, you know, if you were making the right move or if you were doing the right thing? Or are you just someone who's like, listen, I'm following my gut. This is where I'm going next. A little bit of both. Like... Um, I think that I think a lot of this, you know, entrepreneurial journey is about gut instinct, but I, I really do lean really heavily just on authenticity. And that when I say that, not just what other people would see as authentic, but really being true to myself and committing to speaking in my own voice, no matter what. So mm-hmm. yes, there is following your heart, but at some point you'll be challenged with things that, you know, with obstacles and a lot of things that will make you question yourself. So I do my best just to to continue to create and to commit to what I feel is aligned with my values. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you have like a cult-like following for the brand. So what do you think contributed to this? Do you think it was you being authentic and people being attracted to that? Or is it the product itself? Like, what do you think really, really helped for people to just gravitate towards it? You know, I, I think it's the same thing you mentioned before. Us just being honest. The truth matters. People connect with 
with us, I think, because we're honest about hair care. Mm -hmm. And we, like you said, are really education-based. We help people make better decisions based on the facts, whether they shop with us or not. I don't want to, you know, misrepresent anything about my brand. And I want people to know what they are investing in when they invest in me. I think authenticity really, really matters. And I think one of the things that separates the do from everything else that's out there is we really have receipts. Like, I didn't make this up. This is something that I've actually practiced and that I not only am asking you to invest, but I've invested enough in myself as a cosmetologist. I've invested into my community by educating my clients and educating stylists. So there's a lot more backbone when it comes to what it is that we share. And I think that really does contribute to the kind of consumer that's following us because Mm -hmm. not everybody wants the real raw truth. Some people are going to be offended or thrown off by the fact that I'm saying don't put shea butter or, you know, castor oil in your hair. But that has nothing to do with me. When you're coming to the do and you're asking about hair care, all I have to give you is the science. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I love to know when I am. I really do. I'm really here to help you. I work more as a translator or as a personal trainer or a coach to give you the facts, give you the science and help guide you to make the most sound decision. And if and if my brand and what my brand's values are, aren't in alignment with what's important to you, then it's fine. You can take a pass, but it, it's really, really important to us that people know more of the truth about their hair and about how this really works versus buying into a bunch of bedtime stories that are created to market something to them that they don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do appreciate the truth in brand building, period, right? No matter what it is that someone's creating, whether it's a product or service, when someone gives you honesty, whether or not you purchase from them, you connect with the brand better. And creating that truth brand, like you said, people are going to connect and there's going to be people that don't connect, that don't like it at all. Right. And that's fine. Everybody what, is not your customer. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just creating that strong brand identity because you have that solid foundation to stand on. So So I I get it. And I know some of you listening may be saying the do, let me go find it on Instagram. It's I love the do, but it's D-O-U-X because we're fancy around here. Okay. Yeah. Super (laughs) fancy for no reason. So yes, it's it's I love the do. And you can also find me, uh, my personal Instagram is we do O-U-I-D-O-U-X. Yeah. And you have other businesses as well, right? Like I saw something about sneakers and it's like, you're doing, you're doing a lot. I just really do what I love. I think Mm -hmm. that if you, you know, as an entrepreneur, if you are really connected, if you're aware of what you really love, it will just start to come out in your work and the success follows because you really are in an authentic place. It's really important to me to just, you know, to pump out whatever I like, even though, you know, what do face masks have to do with hair care? I'm not sure. What does hair care have to do with hip hop? I'm not sure, but I love them all. And it and works for you. Come out in my work, and somehow, you know, sometimes somehow it comes out in my work. Yeah, I love, I love that, and I know the dudes in like Target and Walmart and CVS and Rite Aid and others, right? How did these yeah. big breaks happen? Because I know so many people create products, and their like their dream would be to get in a Target or a Walmart, and then they don't know what to do. I mean, we have Auntie Google, but can you give us your story? How did really, you? Really, I mean, everyone has a different, um, a different journey when it comes to getting into. To mass retail 
for us, it, everything that we've done from the press that we've gotten to getting into, you know, your big box stores has really, I'm blessed to say that it's been organic. You know, back to what you were saying earlier, when the public starts to place a demand on something that really resonates with them, you know, the retailers notice. So, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately, we've had, you know, enough exposure just because of our following to get in front of the right people. And that's really how it happened for us. There are lots of other channels as far as finding, you know, a broker and getting into a distribution channel. But what I would definitely encourage anyone who is pursuing this particular category, this field, is to focus on your own numbers, (laughs) focus on your brand and finding out who your consumer is and serving that person. Because like I said before, the partnerships follow. But in order for those to work, you have to have a cult following of consumers that really believe in what you're doing. And those are the ones that create the demand and bring you in front of all of these retailers that that you want to work with. Mm -hmm. I hope that made sense. No, that made a lot of sense because a lot of times people are going to stores and if it's something they've seen on Instagram or they've seen somewhere else or their friend has it, they've tried it. They go to the neighborhood store and they'll say, Hey, like, are you bringing this in? Can you bring this in? Can you special order? They start asking questions. And if you got enough And and retailers are very savvy. Um, When you look at companies like, you know, Target and Walmart and, and, you know, we're seeing more people that use the products that we sell that do have a frame of reference for their value. So Again, really serving your consumer, whether it's education, whether it is doing the tutorials, making sure that people really get the brand, they will tell your story for you. Mm -hmm. So it's always been important to me to share my story honestly, so that the people who repeat it, like if you, if you start with the truth, you never have to change it, (laughs) you know? So making sure that people really get us, they'll share our story for us. And that's what helps you expand as a brand. That's what helps people learn more about you because the story that's being relayed is honest and it's, and it's truthful. You get in trouble when it's not that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When there's a whole bunch of extra, a whole bunch of crazy claims and extra fluff, now you can't back that up. So for us, like, I can't say that enough, just being true to your consumer, finding out what's important to the people that you're serving is more important than anything, because those are the people that put you in front of the people that you want to be in front of. Mm-hmm, for sure. And what's, what does that look like? So when you were just selling, when it was just e-commerce to when you started getting into the Targets and the Walmarts and the Rite Aids, like what happened with your brand? Was there anything, you know, huge that happened? Were there any hurdles? Like what do people need to know when they're saying, I want to get into big retail? You know, what comes along with that? Like what's the other side of that? As far as like the, the process? The process. Going from or, e-commerce to yeah, yeah, whether it's manufacturing, manufacturing mm-hmm. all of that, it's, it, it doesn't really change as much. Of course, our, we weren't manufacturing as much as we are now when we were working, you know, just e-commerce and through the salon. But of course, once you are working in mass retail, you're, you're producing a lot more. So just the whole format, the makeup of your business changes. I thought when we opened, well, we had the salon and when we started to expand the product line and we, you know, decided to go ahead and go in into Target, I thought that it would just make my salon business bigger because that's, you know, that was my frame of reference. That's where I was working. You know, it's where I was selling my products from and that's where we were doing the e-commerce from. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time is you really are acquiring 
a whole different business. So everything about the way that I was manufacturing the do, selling the do, the way our team worked completely had to change. I acquired a completely different business. The product didn't change, but the the dynamic of the, the business and the logistics of the business completely changed. So it's not as simple as like, you know, oh, your product is doing so well. Now you're in mass retail. You really are acquiring a completely different entity and you're becoming another business. So the most important thing is to assemble a team, to know your numbers and to know what help that you need because it's a it's a completely different ball game. You are you're taken out of being just an indie brand that can handle things on your own and now you need to kind of employ and rope in a little bit more support. We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And how did you find that support? Or did you like, were you just like head down and Google and like, okay, let me figure out what I need to build this team up. Or did you have a coach? Like, how did you grow your business? Well, fortunately, I've had a lot of, it's funny because as a hairstylist, I've been a cosmetologist for 26 years. So some of my most valuable business lessons, (laughs) life lessons, parenting lessons all came from behind the chair. So Mm -hmm. fortunately, I was fortunate to have a lot of people that were in consumer sales and consumer goods and marketing and in law. So the team that I had, that that I have kind of existed before I needed them. It's funny how that works, but that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, we're never in my profession. We're not excluded from any group or class of people. So I have everything from I literally have you know a brain surgeon to you know the waitress to the the girl that works at at Wendy's. Like we, I work with and touch and have relationships with people from of all over the spectrum. So, you know, while we were going through this process, I was able just to get like good sound advice from people who I knew cared about me that kind of helped me build the framework of how we do things. And, you know, to me, again, the do is really about that, that kind of about relationships. It is a community it's a family owned brand, but we really are about, you know, community and, you know, support and helping each other be successful in business. And because I had relationships with my clients and I had poured so much of what I knew into their life, they were more than willing. If anything, they, a lot of people were kicking down their door to help me make this happen. That's so dope. And I can attest to that only because one of my good friends, my hairstylist is a good friend of mine. And she says the same thing where she's just like the people in my chairs, it's just so much knowledge you get from them, right? They're from all walks of life. And it's just so much that they pour into you, you pour into them. So I, yeah, I totally get it. Those relationships are everything. That is what built the do. The, The do was not, I never started this product line to make 
I mean, that sounds like really, you know, superficial, but I, I didn't start this to, to make a whole bunch of money. I created this because my, the people that I cared about had a need and I just wanted to be there to support them and to fill it. Um, mm-hmm. And those, you know, the relationships that are built in, in these spaces, in these, these salons are absolutely priceless. My clients, I can say that my clients during that time really built my brand. They're the reason why I know what I know. They're the reason why I can say that I have the experience that I have. And it was them trusting me with their hair that gave me the opportunity to create something that they needed. So it's definitely an exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that, I do. Mm-hmm. And what I hear there is something I talk about all the time on the podcast, and that's ensuring that you're in business to solve problems, to ensure that you're right. in business, not to just make money, right? You want to be able to solve problems for people. You want to be able to fulfill that need to build those genuine connections. And that's what's really going to make it successful. So I'm glad that you're here reiterating a lot of the lessons that many people talk about to let the listeners know that while all of my guests are from different industries and they have different products and services you hear many of the same lessons said in different ways but you hear the same lessons over and over which tells you just how important that they are for successful entrepreneurship so i'm glad that you mentioned it and what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned along the entrepreneurship journey Hmm. i would say that the money will come if you have a clear mission and it's and your intention is coming from a good place it's not hard to do what you love. And if you're doing what you love, people notice. And eventually you'll be able to support yourself doing that. The money will come. If the money itself is your motivation, you'll lose the connection with people because mm-hmm. people don't care how much you know. They, they, they care about how much you care. So oh, I love that. I didn't know anything about the financial side. It's never been my, my motivation. I just want to create. So it wasn't until I was in this for a minute that I realized like how much money is involved in manufacturing and you know all of that. I really have, have, have always just been focused on creating something and being proud of what I put my name on. And I can say that with my, with my whole heart. That's no cap. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's what it's been about. So you know, one day I woke up and what I was doing from a pure and honest place that I really love because I love the people started to make me money. But I, I've seen people get into certain industries and, they, you know, it might pop when they first get into it because, you know, if you can just jump on any wave that's making money, anyone can do that. But when when the hard times come and when the challenges come and when the obstacles come, if you're not, if you don't love it enough, then you're not going to be committed to it to see it all the way through. And that's the only thing I think that separates the entrepreneurs that have that are passionate about what they're doing from the ones who don't and who burn out is it's really hard to burn out when you really love something when you really know what you're talking about when you're really a part of the industry and you're not an imposter you know what I mean Mm-hmm. In this business, I, I believe that there are are contenders and there are pretenders. And if you if you're out here fronting, then when it gets hard, you're gonna jump ship because it, it's hard. Everything go your way in entrepreneurship. So you know that's always my advice is really for people to find out what they're really good at, do one thing very very well, and love what you do enough to stick to it. Mm-hmm. I really, really loved all of that. And was it ever a point when the money situation initially was 
an issue like maybe when when you have to manufacture because that's something people don't necessarily think about it's like okay yeah you can get your products in target we still have to provide target with those products and pay for those products to get in target so was that ever a problem or because you have the other business it was just smooth sailing as far as the finances were concerned growing this business right so fortunately for us because you know i've been in this so long i've always had uh, you know the thing I love so much about what I do is that I've always been able to finance my creative projects. Mm-hmm. So if they fail, it's on me. <laughs> I don't have to worry about, you know, disappointing an investor or, you know, and, and another thing that we did was we started very small so that we could stand on our own two feet when the opportunity came. So, you know, it is fun. It is important though, for particularly black owned businesses to be financially literate so that you can get the funding that you need when that time comes. But the truth of the matter is for most of us, most of us aren't even in a place where we can get the kind of funding that we need until after we're in mass. And, and, you know, that's the harsh reality of just the inequity in, in businesses and in business period for, for particularly black people and people of color is we have, it's funny that our consumer behaves in a way that makes a lot of money. We have businesses that are lucrative, but it's very difficult to get the funding and the support and access to the same resources that other companies have. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that ended up being a blessing in disguise for you because then it's self-funded. And like you said, you don't have to worry about disappointing someone or even having someone else involved that don't care as much as you do about what it is that you're putting forward, right? Right, right. I mean, it's my philosophy that whoever has the money, that's whose priorities are going to lead the mission. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So even, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong wrong with borrowing, you know, God knows I would have borrowed a lot if I had that opportunity when I started. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm notorious for putting my money in the shoebox until I can do what I want to do. To me, it's about freedom and and being able to make your own decisions, even if they have to be small decisions, because, you know, you got small money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're yours. You know, exactly. they're your decisions. And like I said, if you if you stick with that and you own it 100%, the money will come. I feel that 100%. I love it. And this is called Freedom Slay Podcast. So you put that little, those little small pieces aside <laughs> and create your freedom. I love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and did you have any other advice for those who may be thinking about starting a product-based business? Shoot, I think, I think it's really important just to make sure you know what you're talking about and that you do your homework and your research. And, you know, it really goes back to what I said before, making sure that you really, really care about the people that you serve and understand them before you go for their pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Because our consumer is really savvy. They're really smart. You see just the response that people are having to you know, the current conditions with Black Lives Matter and Blackout Tuesday, the way that our consumer behaves a lot of times is based on how they view you and your sincerity and your authenticity as a brand. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's important that before you decide, hey, there's nothing wrong with being in business for profit, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that. But before you decide, hey, I want to make money doing this, you need to understand the people and the, the thoughts and the feelings and the needs of the people that are going to be using that service. Because the second they feel like you don't care about what their pain points are, you can forget it. It's important to just care, to, to really care and to give people all of, all of what you have to offer. 
Mm-hmm. Buyers these days are so intuitive, right? Like we can tell when someone's throwing a black or Latina girl in an ad because diversity right. sells or when right. they're doing it because that's who they're targeting and that's who they care about serving. Like we can Absolutely. tell just from looking at it and they're, you know, how they're, they approach stuff. So right. I agree 100% with that. And where else can people find you? So we know I'm going to put your Instagram handles below in the show notes so people can follow you there at I love the do and I'm going to put your website but can you share like the website link and a few other things just so people can know where they can get get to you and buy your products sure um we are at the do.com t-h-e-d-o-u-x um and um of course you can find us on instagram at i love the do and me personally at we do o-u-i-b-o-u-x and we're also launching my brand of custom-made face masks at dorags.com that's d-o-u-x-r-a-g-s and you can sign up for that email list for the drop but again you know i'm a of a person that likes to create so you'll always find something new from the do and for me personally just as a creative and a designer i love that maya and i always have one question i like to ask at the end of every single podcast and that is what does freedom mean to you freedom for me is is really simple it's it's the ability to think to speak and to act according to my own free will without restraint i think that freedom does have consequences though. So I think that, that part, mm-hmm. right. So th- to me, that's why I feel like freedom can't exist without equality. That's where equality comes into place. Um, in a lot of ways, in many ways, I, I do think that we're all free to some degree, but I think that, you know, and this is just my personal opinion. I think that equality is what really determines how we're able to experience our freedom because equality is what determines the amount of access that we have the opportunities that we have to exercise our freedom and the consequences because you know my freedom and someone else's freedom I, i'm you know my people are are experiencing a, a set of consequences that are imbalanced because of the inequality. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's important if we're talking about, about freedom. I know you didn't ask me all this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> get it, girl. Get it, get it, get it. <laughs> I think that it's important that if we're talking about freedom, that we really understand what that is and how, like James Baldwin said, freedom is it's something that you take. It's not something that you're given. But what the, the whole freedom conversation, we, there's no way for us to talk about that and not talk about equality because there's so many of us exercising our rights to do certain things and there's a different set of consequences that we're confronted with and a lot of us don't feel free because we don't have the same amount of access we don't have the same opportunity we can all run out there and do a whole bunch of things but how that that impacts our life and the life of our families and our futures and our legacies that's that's not equal and mm-hmm. that's what makes our people feel trapped. That's what makes us feel not free. And I I would love to see more of the conversation surrounding Black people and freedom to include equality, because I feel like that's where the real pain is. It's not that, that I'm free and I'm not free and you are. It's that we're both free, but I can't do the same thing with my freedom that you can. Mm-hmm. And if I make a mistake, you know, I don't, I don't have the same consequences or the ability to be rehabilitated the way that I deserve to be as a human that someone else has. 
So, um, you know, that's my whole take on it. Thank you so much. Yeah, all of that, all of it. Like, <laughs> not a single thing to add to it because you just ended that on a period. <laughs> I hope so. Uh <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Maya. I really, really, really appreciate it. All the gems you've dropped, the knowledge for everybody who's looking to start a business or maybe they already have a business and they need to dive deeper into their clients and solving that need. I'm sure you've provided so much information for them. And those that are listening, that heard the very end of this talking about freedom and maybe they may not be black. I hope that they listen to this and then assist blacks to get that equality that's required. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. There you have it. There is not a whole lot to add to that podcast. Maya dropped all the jams and ended it on such a strong note, talking about freedom and the importance of equality. And honestly, we just need to leave it on that note. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. And I'll chat with you next time. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you. 